Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be looking at Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11 today, and I will read the passage for us as we begin. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How's your prayer life? That's the question I want to open us up with. What is it like for you to spend time talking to God? Is it delightful to pray to God? Is it something that you look forward to doing? Maybe during COVID-19, your prayer life has just increased, and, and it's an amazing experience every time you pray. And you're, you're, you would be someone we call a prayer warrior. That's a term that we sometimes use in Christian circles. And praise God for that, if that's your experience. Or maybe prayer is scary for you. Do you feel unworthy to approach a holy God? Perhaps you would say, yes, it depends on the day. Maybe you've done something particularly wrong and you feel bad about it, and so you feel shame and maybe a sense of dread to approach the Almighty. Or does prayer feel like a chore, like one of your least favorite house chores you have to do? When I was a kid, I had to take out the trash and I had a, a designated day in the week that was my trash day and I would put it off to the end of the day because I didn't like doing it but I'd still do it because it was my duty and perhaps prayer is like that. It's a chore. Or when you think of praying, does it discourage you? Perhaps you've prayed to God about the same thing over and over and you just don't get the answer that you want. You feel like God isn't coming through and so you don't want to keep on praying because you don't want to keep on being disappointed. Or maybe prayer is just something you don't really do. Maybe it's something you've never done. Maybe you pray here or there, but as a regular practice, it's just not part of your life. All these experiences that I've just described are real and are experienced by many Christians. Just read someone like Martin Luther about this passage I just read, and he would say, Yes, we are unworthy to approach God. Or read John Calvin on the same passage, and he would say, we are all prone to a distrust and a sense of not fully believing this awesome promise we have to pray to God. And they'd say, this is precisely why Jesus tells us these things here in the Sermon on the Mount. He wants to encourage us, to give us comfort about how we can trust God and be confident he hears us when we pray. Jesus isn't shaming anyone here for not having the best prayer life. He's not trying to embarrass anyone because they don't pray to God as much as 
they probably should. He's giving us encouragement to our souls that will strengthen us, that will, that will co- give us confidence to come to God in prayer. So from the passage we're going to look at today, Jesus wants us to be comforted by this central idea. God is your heavenly Father, and he will give you what you need. All you have to do is ask. God is your heavenly Father, and he will give you what you need. All you have to do is ask. Before we get into the rest of the sermon, let me pray and ask God to take this central idea and apply it to our hearts. Father, I pray that everyone who's listening, everyone who's watching, that your spirit will move on their hearts to be open to this truth that you have for us in your word. Give me the words to say. Give me the uh, passion to say it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 2,000 years ago in a land called Israel, a nation under the control of the Roman Empire, lived a man named Jesus of Nazareth. He was God's beloved son. He was sent on a mission to fulfill all the promises the God of Abraham made to Israel. Jesus traveled from village to village. He was teaching. He was performing miracles. He was driving out evil spirits. He was raising the dead to life. He was healing diseases. And he was teaching people that all these miracles and all that he's doing is proof that he's bringing in the kingdom of God. And much of his teaching is summed up in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's Matthew chapter 5 through 7. That's what we've been looking at for the past few weeks. The Sermon on the Mount is about the proper way for Jesus' disciples to live in the world. So if you're a disciple of Christ, God is your Father. Jesus is your Lord. You have the Holy Spirit. Your sins are forgiven. You are heirs to God's kingdom. And your focus is on God's kingdom. Living rightly and inviting your friends and family and neighbors into God's kingdom. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Matthew chapter 6 and a little bit of chapter 7. And Jesus has been talking about how we as his followers are to relate specifically to our material possessions And also how we relate to other people and how we treat them. Jesus said things like, don't store up treasures in heaven. You cannot serve both God and money. Don't be anxious because your heavenly father values you and will supply your needs. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. That's how we relate to our material possessions. Jesus also talked about how we relate to other people. He talked about judging others, that we saw that last week. Don't live with a condemning attitude, he says. Work on your own hypocrisy so that you can accurately and lovingly help someone instead of condemn them. Now we come to our passage today in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Up to this point, Jesus has been saying some challenging things. He's been saying some difficult things, command after command of be like this and don't do this. And he's doing that to show us the seriousness of following him. And in our passage, he comes to a place of comfort, to give some comforting words, to strengthen us and to give us confidence. It's about highlighting God's love for his children. And that's a comforting thought. So let's turn to that now. 
We'll look at the passage in, in three parts. The first part is in verses 7 and 8. We'll look at a comforting truth. In verses 8 and 9, we'll look at a common example. And in verse 11, we will learn about a caring father. So comforting truth, a common example, and a caring father will be our three guideposts as we navigate through this passage. So first, the comforting truth. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is a comforting truth. Why? Because Jesus is telling us that we can be confident that when we come to God in prayer, he will give us what we need. We will receive what we ask for. We will find what we seek. Ask, seek, knock. That's what we do every time we pray to God. Jesus tells us to ask. He says, just ask and you'll get it. And what do you do if the person you want to ask something isn't in in the room with you? Well, you go out to find him, to ask him there. Seek and you will find, he says. You can have confidence that in your diligent seeking, you will find what you're looking for. I am really, really bad at losing things. Or maybe I'm really good at losing things. I don't know. Just ask my wife. I lose stuff all the time, and I'm even worse at finding what I lost. Last year, we were going to Colorado for some vacation, and on the way to the airport, I thought I had my headphones. When I got on the plane, I realized I didn't have my headphones, and I'm like, oh, maybe it's in my bag, right? Maybe it's somewhere else. Uh, It wasn't. And these headphones are expensive, at least for me. And, well, maybe I was thinking it was in the car I was in. Well, it wasn't. So about a week goes by, I'm getting anxious, I'm getting worried, and I thought, well, maybe it's, maybe it's on the grass next to where I parked my car. It's been like a week, and it's rained a few times, so I went, and lo and behold, there it was in the grass. And I picked it up, and, I mean, it still worked, probably because it was an expensive pair of headphones, so that's great. I found it, and when I found it, I was so relieved. If I knew that when I looked for something, I would find it, I wouldn't worry so much. Jesus is saying, looking always results in finding when it comes to praying to God. So keep at it. Keep looking. You'll find it. He also tells us to knock. This isn't a cold call. This isn't a door-to-door salesman knocking at your door. This is where you can just walk up, knock on the door. It'll be open to you. It's kind of like going to your grandparents' house. I grew up about... 80 yards away from my grandparents and I would just walk on over. I didn't have to give them a few days heads up. I would just show up. Sometimes I wouldn't ring the doorbell. I'd just walk on in and they would welcome me with snacks and sugary sodas and it was a great time. I loved going to my grandparents' house. That's a good picture of our God. We can confidently go up to his house and knock on his door. He will open the door and he'll welcome us. He'll say, Come on in, my child. Come on in. Sit down. Tell me what's on your heart. How can, I, how can I help you? Ask, seek, knock, because God will give you what you need. That is a comforting truth. To help his disciples understand his point even more, he gives them a common example, that of a father and his son. 
He says in verse 9 and 10, Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Clearly the answer from his disciples is, we wouldn't do that. Right? When a son asks his dad for a, a sandwich for lunch, dads don't say, sure bud, and then give him a rock and says, bon appetit, right? And you know, eat all the rocks on your plate. You can't leave the table until you do, right? That's not what dads do. That's absurd. Dads love their sons. Dads are amazing, right? Like, what would we be without our dads? I most certainly would not be the man I am today if it wasn't for my dad. Not only what he's taught me, but just how he's lived his life. When dads are in the home, there is strength in that home. There is confidence in that home. There's protection. There's a sense of adventure. There's wisdom. Dads train up their kids to be prepared to face the world. Did you know that households where dads are present and involved in their children's lives, children learn the difference between assertiveness and aggressiveness? They're able to know the difference because of their dads. Also, did you know that children with their fathers in the home they learn the concept of delayed gratification much better. You know, like the good things in life you have to work for, it doesn't just come to you. This is all true. Dads love taking care of their kids, right? I'm 27 years old, I'm an adult, but when this quarantine thing happened, my dad called me up and he was like, son, I know this might be challenging for you. If you need help, just let me know, I'm here to help. And I'm blessed to have a job that, I was allowed to still work and still be paid, so I was good. But just to know that my dad was there if I needed help was a comforting thought. Because kids have special privileges with their parents, right? If a parent, if you're a parent and you're in bed at night and someone calls your phone and you don't recognize the number, you're probably not going to answer it. If it's your son or daughter, you probably will. If someone, some random person shows up on your door and knocks on your door and says, hey, I'm coming over for dinner right now, you're going to say, sorry, no, we're not expecting company. If it's your child, maybe coming back from college or something, saying, here I am, you're going to say, come on in. If they say, I got my laundry here too, you're not going to feel offended. You're going to say, yes, come in. What's mine is yours. Kids have special privileges. And that's a common example we all can understand. Fathers love their kids and will give them good things. Now in verse 11, Jesus brings us to the greater point he's trying to make. So he's used that common example of a human father's love for his son to show how much greater is God's love for us, his children. He says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him. If even evil, sinful humans know how to give gifts to their kids, then God, who is not evil, who is not sinful, who always does what is right, he knows how to give the best gifts to his kids. Notice here that Jesus calls us evil. That's something I want to point out real quick. I think it's important. You can be evil and still do good things. In fact, that is exactly the case for every human being. We are evil, plain and simple. Our hearts are bad hearts. We come into this world 
naturally self-centered, not, not God-centered. And yet we still can do good gifts and good things to our children. I mean, even your unbelieving neighbor knows how to love and care for their kids. And when someone comes to faith, their sins are forgiven, they have the Holy Spirit, but they're still going to wrestle with sinful desires and, 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 and evil desires. And the Bible calls that our flesh. Now think of God. He is not sinful. He will always do what is right. He has no sinful thoughts. How much better is he at giving good gifts to his kids? Listen, if, if sinful, evil humans do good things for their kids, then you can absolutely guarantee that the unselfish, righteous, almighty, loving God will give good things to his children. God is our Father. That means that we have special privileges to access him. And we, we know that powerful people and of, of influence in our society, they're unreachable by your average person. I can't just walk up to the President of the United States and say, hey, I got some questions, I, I got some issues. I can't just go, go up to Governor DeSantis' house and say, hey, can I have a favor? <laughs> I bet his kids can. Now here's something incredible. God is the most powerful, the most influential being in the entire world. I mean, he created the world. He holds the universe in the palms of his hands. And get this, we can approach him anytime, anywhere, because we are his children. 1 John 3, 1 tells us, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. What an amazing privilege because God is our heavenly father. He will give us good things and all we have to do is ask. Now you're probably wondering, well, what are those good things? What are those good things that we get? Well, first I wanna say what they're not. They are not things that will be bad for you, right? That's the opposite of good. You may think that what you're asking for is good for you, but God is the one who knows what is good and what is not. So if you don't get what you ask for, then that means that thing wasn't good for you. You can trust your heavenly father is looking out for your well-being when you don't receive what you ask for. Also, they are not things that will keep you from going through trials and difficulties in life. We know this because of the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are you when others persecute you. A child of God will still suffer. So what then are these, are these good things? And this is what they are. They are the things you need to live a godly life. They are the things you need to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. They are what you need to seek after God's kingdom and his righteousness. They are what you need to seek after his kingdom in your place of employment. They are what you need to seek after his kingdom at the gym or at the beach, at the festivals and the parties, at concerts and in school, on the sports team, on social media. They're also what you need in the most difficult circumstances. When you don't have a job anymore because of COVID-19, when your father passes away and your family looks to you to be strong and help them through the funeral, when you lose a child, when your spouse leaves you, 
God will give you what you need for these trials. You see, God is a comforting father who supplies all your needs. It is a comforting thought that God is absolutely powerful and no one can thwart his plans. No one can thwart his plans. It is a comforting thought to say that the almighty God is my father and he will give me what I need. All I have to do is ask. Now let me ask you this most important question. Is God your father? He may not be. The Bible's very clear. If you reject Jesus Christ, then God is not your father. 1 John 2.23 tells us, no one who denies the father, sorry, no one who denies the son has the father. What does that mean, that God is not your father? It means he doesn't accept your prayers. You cannot enter his presence. It means you're not part of his kingdom. It means you're not forgiven of your sins. It means you will face everlasting judgment. You see, the access to God that I'm talking about, this is a family meeting. This is for family members only. No one is just naturally born into God's family. We're actually naturally born not in God's family. And this is exactly why Jesus came to this world, to make us children of God. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13 says, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. If God is not your father, he can be. It's a gift. It's an opportunity for you to receive Jesus as your Lord. So confess him as your only hope. Submit your life to Jesus. Then Jesus will make you a child of God. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. Now to those who God is your father. I hope this message is an encouragement to you. An encouragement to you to live your life like God is your father. It's easy to forget this. Life gets hard or just gets distracting and we drift away. We get discouraged. But praise be to God. The reason why we can be confident that God will answer our prayers, it's not, it's not based on ourselves and our ability to have the best prayer life. It's based on who God is. He's our heavenly father who welcomes us and gives us what we need. I mean, he's given us the Holy Spirit to overcome sin and, and to adopt us into God's family. That's what we see in Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by, the, by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. We have God's Spirit 
that marks us as God's children. And we are co-heirs with Christ, and that means, yes, we're going to suffer, but we're also going to be glorified with him. We're heirs. We're going to receive all that God has promised. So be encouraged today to come to God, your Father, in prayer through your Savior, Jesus Christ. He will supply all your needs. All you have to do is ask. Afflicted saint, to Christ draw near. Your Savior's gracious promise here. His faithful word you can believe that as your days your strength shall be. Your faith is weak, your foes are strong. And if the conflict should be long, the Lord will make the tempter flee that as your days your strength shall be. So seeing with joy afflicted one, the battle's fierce but the victory's won. God shall supply all that you need. Yes, as your days your strength shall be. Should persecution rage and flame, still trust in your Redeemer's name. In fiery trials you shall see that as your days your strength shall be. When called to bear your weighty cross, or sore affliction, pain, or loss, or deep distress, or poverty, still as your days your strength shall be. So sing with joy, afflicted one. The battle's fierce, but the victory's won. God shall supply all that you need. Yes, as your days, your strength shall be. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you for promising us to save us, for giving us the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that every man and woman and child who's listening will know that you are the God loves them and is their heavenly father and if they haven't trusted you that they will today in jesus name i pray amen thanks for joining us today if you'd like to support this ministry go to our website at fbcdelray.com also click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know jesus to know others and to make him known we cry out we cry out